Take a moment to enjoy some of that passage. As you just keep your Bible open in front of you and you look at it, just enjoy it. Enjoy the fact, I mean, I certainly enjoy the fact that my job currently does not include butchering animals or children. And uh, (laughs) I mean, for real though, if you were in the Old Testament, right, and you were in the book of Kings, you would have been rescuing children, literally, from being butchered and offered to Molech. It's pretty crazy, right? Anyway, on that note, let's pray. <laughs> let's pray together. Father of all mercies, Lord Jesus, you who died on the cross, sacrificed yourself, rose again from the dead to give eternal hope, we are thankful to you. As we come to this chapter of the book of Leviticus, and just rejoice in fellowship, in peace with God. Pray that you would just speak to us this evening uh, and just help us to go away from this evening just in wonder and in awe of you, in awe of the relationship that you have invited us into, our great God. In Jesus' name, amen. It's not a strange fact to you that I love food. Yesterday visited a nice little thank you to uh, you guys who gave us a little voucher for a French cafe. The people were actually French as well. Nottingham, fantastic. I loved it, you know. They were French, and they didn't mind me speaking English to them. You know, fantastic. But I wonder if you've ever been invited to a banquet. Has anybody here ever been invited to a banquet of any kind? Is anyone? Thanks. Okay, interesting. So you're in the same... That's, that's good, that's good. You're commoners like me, you're, you're plebs like me. Because if you were, there's a lot about chapter 3 that would make a little bit more sense to you. A lot of the whole banqueting, you know, uh, setting up of something royal, you know, whether you're like polishing everything, uh, there's something so special about being in a specific room, following specific rules, uh, because there's royalty coming to the banquet, you know? I mean, this is, this is in preparation for uh, a banquet at Buckingham Palace. Everything is made of gold, and it's amazing. Kind of like the tabernacle, right? There's gold, silver, acacia wood, precious fabrics, and so on. And the food is also a huge element. And following on the theme of Leviticus, not only have we seen that uh, food matters, but that it's very costly. Whatever offering, even if it's the grain offering of chapter 2, it costs you a lot, okay, to come and bring it to your king. And so some of the themes that we have talked about so far then is that the king lives among you, and we talked about how the tabernacle is his uh, kind of palace amongst his people in the Old Testament, how approaching God uh, needs us to come the way that he wants, how we approach him by bringing only the best, the best from the herd, from the flock, Um, whatever we can afford from what he says we can bring. Except that with this offering, there's a huge difference. You get to eat it as well. It's not true of any of the other offerings in the first five chapters, but it's true of this one. And so follow with me what's happened so far from chapter one. Chapter one, you've felt a, imagine you're an ancient Israelite, and you want to maintain your relationship with God, or you want to enter into a relationship with God, you've become aware that you're broken, that you need God's forgiveness. Chapter 1, you offer the burnt offering. 
chapter 2, you become aware that God is your king. And so you offer him the green offering, also known as the tribute offering. And we saw an example of that in the book of Judges, where that is being, bringing tribute to a king. And now in chapter 3, you have a newfound relationship with the king, and you are around the table, and you get to eat with him in his presence. You host him, as it were. And so over the last few weeks, we've been uh, doing it like this. We've been looking at the ritual. We've been looking at the reality that it points to uh, in the life and work of Jesus. And what does that have to do with me? What's my response? The ritual, the reality, the response. I start with talking about the ritual. Now, a conversation that I had with one of our teenagers earlier in the week, I'm not going to say any names, but I did ask uh, their permission this evening. And we're just going for a walk, and we're talking about how, you know, dating, you know, it's pretty good, it's pretty fun, you know, it's, it's, it, it, within the bounds of, you know what I mean, what God allows and all that stuff. But one of the things that you begin to notice the longer you are in a relationship with someone is that you move from having to say stuff all the time, being uncomfortable with silence, you have to talk all the time. Perhaps you have to portray a certain image of yourself because it's early days and you don't know how the other person is going to respond when you peel off another layer of your character. And then you move beyond that into a sense of just enjoyment of each other. Having been married now for a few years, it's really nice to be able to look back and see where we are now is we just enjoy being with each other. Sometimes we might be walking. We don't have to be saying stuff all the time. Just being with each other, just enjoying the relationship is something valuable. And that's only a little shimmering reflection of what's happening with the king here. Now that you, uh, if you're in ancient Israel at this point, now that you um, have you had your sins forgiven, you recognize the king's place in your life, you want to enjoy your relationship with him. And you get to do that. And already that points to a greater reality. If you are a Christian, there's something about God that we are meant to simply enjoy in his presence, being in his presence. And so two quick ideas that we want to talk about in this section, the ritual. One is that we enjoy God's presence. And I think you can see that if you have your Bibles open with me, we're going to look at those verses that are outlined there. See if you can notice a little pattern. While you do that, let's think about celebrations, right? Imagine here, it's 1946. Your country's been at war for several years. Okay, it's all the news talk about. You know that you have lost friends. You know that you uh, haven't been able to live life normally. You uh, haven't had uh, your regular job for a while. Lots of family members you haven't seen or that have died, neighbors, routine, every disruption you can think of being at war. And so if you're a soldier, you fought for your country, you've seen some terrible things. If you're serving uh, at home, in your home country, you've seen some terrible things too because your country's at war whether you have a choice in it or not. And after years of rationing, years of suffering, you hear peace. Germany surrendered. It's the end. How do you celebrate that? What do you do? What would you do if that was you? Well, the London Victory Celebrations of 1946 were big. They're big, you know. And you just think, when, you, when you've been at war for so long, I would be dancing. I mean, even British people would be dancing in the streets. 
knowing where they have come from. Next to fellow soldiers, fellow sufferers, even the royals, Princess Elizabeth and Princess Margaret. Is this true? They kind of hid in the crowds in the celebrations. I find that fascinating, right? You're celebrating peace amongst royalty and you might not even know it. Well, in Leviticus chapter 3, the celebration is about peace and fellowship. That's why, depending on your translation, you might have peace or fellowship. And the word that I mentioned earlier this evening, shalamim, um, scholars would say that it's probably related to the word shalom, the word for peace and restoration and well-being, being reconciled with God again. Because if you had been an Israelite, you know exactly what it's like to have been at war. Most of all, to have been at war with God because of your sin, because your sin has driven a wedge between you and him. You've seen what happened to the Egyptians when they didn't repent of their sin in the book of Exodus. And I think it's the same for us. If we don't understand what kind of a war we're in with God because of our sin, because we are God's enemies, as we're going to look at later on in the passage, we will never have this feeling of enjoying being in God's presence if we have trusted in Jesus. And so let's figure out a little bit more what this means, enjoying God's presence. Look at your Bible for a second and follow these verses with me. Look at verse 1. What is being said there? You bring your animal and you present it before the Lord. Look at verse 2. Again, in keeping with the other offerings, you understand the price of the offering of the sacrifice because you, the worshiper, you slaughter the animal and you are before the Lord at the entrance at the tent of meeting. You look at verse 7. And what do you do there again? If you offer a lamb, you are to present it before the Lord. The whole idea is that he is your king and you are before him. You are in his presence and you get to enjoy that privilege. You get to have fellowship with him. And you don't do that without forgetting the cost. There's this idea that when you come and, and you are in the presence of the Lord in verse 1 and in verse 2, you are immediately aware of the cost that it took for you to be there because you lay your hand, see that in verse 2? On the sacrifice that you are about to slaughter. You see the sons of Aaron splashing the blood on the altar. In verse 5, killer verse, then Aaron's sons are to burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering that is lying on the burning wood. It is a food offering and aroma pleasing to the Lord. And what I love about this is that I've told you before in previous weeks, often these three offerings would be uh, done together. And what it seems to me here that Leviticus is saying is it's saying you can only come and enjoy the king's presence if you've been forgiven. If chapter one has happened and you've come to God and you've said, you know what, I'm, I'm messed up. I need, your, I need your forgiveness because I want to enjoy your love. Well, that's the progression that we have here, chapter one and into chapter three and so you bring to the king this peace offering filled with joy you don't have to do it but you choose to do it because you want to enjoy your relationship with him you've been forgiven and that's essentially you bringing the very best that you have which seems a crazy idea because in in the world that we live in today when i say and i read bring to him the fat many of us are like gladly Who's going to eat that stuff? You know, and I remember as a child eating some picanha, 
which is the picture that you see there. I don't know what the name of the cut is. Does anybody know in English? Picanha? It's like, I don't know, it's like sirloin maybe, I don't know. Um, but I would just separate the fat and I would ask at the barbecue house where they come in and they slice uh, meat from the spit until you say stop, um, straight onto your plate, and I would say, can you just crisp up that fat, please? Until it's just dripping with joy and mirth. I just wanted to eat that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to give it to anyone else. But here in the ancient days, I wouldn't have been the only weird one, like you're looking at me right now. Because that would have been the very best that you could give to the Lord. And so as you bring to him nothing but your best, you are aware that you can enjoy being in his presence. And so you're bringing the choice cuts. It can be male or female. Um, the animal that you bring, which is a difference, uh, but all of the fat connected to the kidneys, internal organs, liver, whatever, is so prized its choice, you need to bring it to the Lord. And there is that memory verse for you, chapter 3, verse 16, the fat belongs to the Lord. You know, when you come to someone's house uh, and you've got a guest, what do you offer them? You offer the best, don't you? If you have someone over uh, for Sunday lunch, I mean, especially in Britain, if there's only one thing left, what do you not do? You don't need it. You don't take it. And then comes the Brazilian. He takes it. And then everyone else is upset because he didn't say, uh, Andy, do you want this? Sarah, do you want this? Michael, do you want this? You know, he's just taking it. And so this same sense of hospitality, of bringing to your king the very best, you don't get to eat it. You bring to him. And all the while at the front of your mind is, I'm in covenant with this God. I'm on his side. He's forgiven me. He's my king. What a joy to be under his protection. What a joy to be experiencing his love. And I think this is something that people get wrong massively about us Christians. And that might be you here this evening. The idea that people just think we come to God out of duty, that we come to God because there's some sort of institution bearing down on us and saying, you need to not do this. You need to do that. You need to not do this. I remember watching um, a few months ago this idea of pointless duty in his dark materials, the Philip Norman adaptation uh, on the BBC. Anybody else watch that? Yeah, it's like superb quality, isn't it? I think so. Um, superb quality. And the magisterium, the Christian people, essentially, the people who believe in God, uh, man, they are terrible. Like they just want to exert power over people. And like every latest, you know, Netflix, Amazon Prime, whatever, the Christian figure is always a joyless uh, person, only does things because they have to and it's out of duty. Whereas here, this is voluntary. This is love. There's no repression here. You've so enjoyed the love of your God that you want to give him your best. You get to participate in his presence. Not only that, but look at chapter 7 for a second. Keep that open in front of you. Because chapter 7 is the mirror image of chapter 3. In the first few chapters up to chapter 5, you've had instructions for the worshiper. By the time you get to chapter 7, Moses is talking to the priests. Here's what you do. If it's voluntary, why would you do it? Why would you offer something so costly to God? Look at verse 12. Here's one reason. As an expression of thankfulness. Maybe something really fantastic happened in your life. And you just kind of go, you know what? I know that God is sovereign. He's in control of all things. This fantastic thing that has happened was him. He's behind it. I will thank him. That's one reason. Another reason in verse 16, if, however, their offering is the result of a vow. 
Vows in the Old Testament could just be an expression of trusting God, knowing, you know what, nothing happens without God's hand in it. I will make a vow that if he does X, I will bless him in this way. If you'd prayed and God had answered, you're celebrated with the priests at the tabernacle. Then in verse 16, it could also be the result of a free will offering. There's no reason. You don't even need a reason. You just love your God so much you want to, uh, filled with love, give him out of what he's given you. Just as Andy was saying this morning, the Holy Spirit can so change you in your relationship with God that you don't, need, you don't even need a reason to be generous because of how he has rescued you. A few weeks ago, I was having a conversation with an adoption social worker over Zoom, and uh, she was interviewing us and just kind of trying to figure out what, what is this faith like? What is this? And what would the implications be if we did place any children with them? And what was interesting was that um, for some reason I was asked a question about uh, being same-sex attracted or same-sex attraction. And I said, well, actually, I know, I know someone who is attracted to other guys. Um, and as he's read the Bible, he's been persuaded that he ought to live a celibate life, to, to not have um, a boyfriend or a husband out of his love for God. The tone immediately you could hear a pin drop, as they say. And she said, what do you think about that? Is that right? What do you think about that? And I just prayed to God for wisdom. He might be watching. Um, I said it's a victorious lifestyle because he has chosen it. No one forced him to do it. Out of the love that he has for his God and what he's been persuaded as he read in the scriptures that anything he gives up, the love of God outweighs it by an infinitesimal amount. And there was this silence in the call. And we just moved on to the next question. It's so hard for people to believe that participating in God's presence, knowing his love, eating, as it were, in his presence, can be so good that anything you give up fades into the background. And so part of this offering is to enjoy God's presence, but also it is to enjoy God's family. That's a banquet at its best, isn't it? I have found that every time I visited a really decent restaurant, I want to tell you about it. Some of you are probably sick of hearing about it. You know, I could tell you all about the little uh, twill that was in my meal yesterday at this French restaurant and everything, you know, and what it tasted like and the little, the little tapas style meals on there. I just want to tell you about it. I want to share it with you. Why is it that you think we even invite people for meals? Because we celebrate something. We affirm something when we eat together. You know, some of you, you passed your driving test. You take them for a meal. They have some takeaway. Some of you uh, become of legal drinking age. If you're not teetotal, your parents might take you to a pub to have your first drink or have it at home. If you're getting married, you've got to have a reception. And if you don't invite certain people to the reception and they know they haven't been invited, they know they're not as close to you as they thought they were, right? Because when you're eating around the table and you're spending quality money for that hog roast or whatever it is, oh, hog roast, anyway, you feel that only the cream have been invited. There's something about eating together that is really, really precious. Even a funeral where ideally you celebrate a life well lived is followed by a wake where you eat food around the table. 
with others. And so I think that's why the fellowship offering is here. Because we reaffirm and celebrate God's covenant with us and our covenant with him. That's why in the book of Genesis, for example, you find this. After Abimelech had um, quarreled with Isaac about wells, and they finally uh, reached an agreement, Isaac succeeding with his servants, uh, Abimelech and his servants come to him and they say, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us because he was afraid that Isaac was too powerful, was going to attack him at some point. And so he says, let's make a treaty with you that you will not do us harm just as we didn't harm you and always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. And now you are blessed by the Lord. A covenant has been made. What happens next? Isaac made a feast. We eat to celebrate. And so enjoying God's forgiveness here, who is eating? You still got chapter 7 open in front of you? Here's who's eating. Chapter 7, verses 30 and 31. The Lord. He eats. Symbolically, as the food is put on the altar, it's burnt, it's a pleasing aroma. People, even on the outside of the tabernacle, can see the smoke coming up. God partaking of the meal. Verses 31 to 33 of chapter 7, now you can see that. The priests, the sons of Aaron, they eat the breast and the right thigh. And in verse 15, the day refers to the worshiper. They also eat. And so this ritual, you enjoy God's presence and you enjoy family, this new family that you have. Now, what is the reality? Every week we've been saying there's the ritual and we've understood exactly what's going on with people back then. Where is it pointing to? What is it about Jesus that connects with this? Let me tell you in a second. Before I do that, have you ever heard of the great British menu? BBC program, British TV menu? Yeah, we've got any fans here tonight? Yeah, some of us, okay. Yeah, some of us. Um, more of you need to like food. But the very first season of that program was in 2006, and it brought together 14 top professional chefs from seven different regions in the UK. Does anybody know what the prize was? You know what you got, you got to do? Whatever, whoever was the winner, the best meals that they had made, they would get to serve it at the Queen's 80th birthday celebration with 300 other guests of our closest friends and family, the winning dishes. And they were a starter from Northern Ireland, okay. turbot with cockles and oxtail, loin of roe venison from Scotland, and a custard tart flying the flag for the North. Interesting, isn't it? The cool thing is, as you were watching the program, you and I knew that every time their meals were judged, that wasn't the real thing. That was just a rehearsal. When they got to eat it or serve it to the queen, that was the real thing. It was just practicing for the real banquet. And in the same way, when we look at the peace offering, it's a practice. It's a shadow. It points forward to a meal that we have with the Lord Jesus, the Lord's Supper, where we give thanks for another covenant, a covenant where there is no more need for shedding of blood, for the death of animals, because the Lamb of God, Jesus, has taken away our sin, and now we just get to enjoy God's presence. In this covenant, He hosts us. That's why we can say this with the Apostle Paul. 
Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we can say, once you were alienated, Colossians chapter 1, from God, and we were enemies in our minds, but now we are brought near. That's why in a moment when we celebrate communion together, as you can see here outside the camera, we want to be able to say these words. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. So now, if you are a Christian, if you belong to him, when we eat this bread, when we drink this cup, we are celebrating in the presence of the king his love for us, his forgiveness, our unity together. And even that points to something beyond itself, as you can see on the screen. Jesus said this, This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So that's the reality that it points to. Life forever with the Lord. Perfect, without sin. What is our response to this? Talked about the ritual, the reality. Two questions for you. If this whole thing has been about how people don't get that we want to enjoy God together, then here's a question for you and for me. Do you enjoy him? Do you feel joyful when you think about your journey with God? Do you love God's family just as much as a worshiper here in Leviticus would have enjoyed eating the meal with the uh, sons of Aaron with other worshipers? Do you feel joyful as you get together Sunday by Sunday, home group by home group, coffee by coffee with those who are sitting here, perhaps next to you? Do you miss it when you don't get it? I recognize that as I say that, you know, it, it might be some of us. Some of us just go through dry seasons or some of us um, have always come to church, but we don't actually understand what it means to enjoy God. It doesn't make any sense to us. If that's you, Andy and I would love to pray with you, to talk with you, to talk about what it means to be joyful in God, even when you are not happy, even when stuff is going wrong. We'll read the Psalms with you and remind you that there is a time to be sad and yet you can still be joyful. And so here's another question for you, our final question. First, do you enjoy God? Otherwise, the fellowship often doesn't make sense to you. But also, we want to replicate that in the lives of others. Are we just as much as this offering is, just as much as the character of our king is, are we welcoming to sinners? One of the, the narratives in the Old Testament that I'd love to have read with you, but we are almost out of time, was the narrative of how Jonathan's son, in the books of Samuel, he is, uh, the, the scripture says, lame of both feet, and David wants to do a kindness to him because he loved his father, Jonathan. And so in 2 Samuel 9, he calls Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, and he says, Mephibosheth, and he says, at your service. And he comes, he's already ashamed. Oh, I didn't, put, I didn't know if I put the passage on there. But he says that, don't be afraid, David said to him. I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. 
Here's what's telling. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? I just want to finish with these thoughts. One of the things I love the most about being a Christian is I read Leviticus chapter 3, and I see all of my sin. I see just how messed up I am. Some of you know it better than others. I see the mistakes that I make. I see the things that I say that I wish I could unsay forever. The memories that I have of what I was like before I was a Christian and how I would like to forget all of that stuff. And I come to Leviticus 3 and Leviticus 7 and I'm able to say, like Mephibosheth, I feel I'm a dead dog, man. I'm worthy of nothing from God. And yet he humbles me by saying, you are not too bad to come to me. You are not so bad that the atoning sacrifice of Jesus can't get forgiveness for you. So you can be friends with me. You can be my son. And so if you're aware of your sin this evening, lay your hand on Christ. Bring it to him because I am just as bad as you are. And I can be in his presence tonight. And yet no one is too good to come to fellowship with God. If you are proud, if you think you are better than me, just as I was citing these things to you, or if some of you know exactly the sins that I struggle with, and you think, but I'm at least not as bad as Tiago. Swallow your pride and come to him because you still need Jesus' atoning sacrifice, the burnt offering, before you get fellowship with him. And so as I pray, let me read this to you. We've gone from the fellowship offering, eating at the Lord's Supper and enjoying God's presence. Listen to Revelation 22. The Spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who he is say, come, let the one who is thirsty for God, come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life, come. Let's pray because even everything that we've said this evening points to a day when, do you know what? All of the sin that you face now that you know about yourself, there'll be none of that. Just you enjoying God's presence forever. And I long for that. I hope you do too. Take a moment to bow your heads and speak to God before I pray. Lord Jesus, we see people eating in the presence of your Father here in the peace offering. People who have been forgiven of their sins and for those of us, we know just uh, how bad we can be. And we are so thankful that we can still come to you. You still say, approach me, come to me. I'll forgive you, I'll love you, I'll embrace you, I'll give you a new life. Thank you that for those of us who are part of your family, do you know what, we're going to die one day or you're going to return and we're going to spend eternity with you. And none of this stuff that gets between us is going to be there. We're just going to enjoy your presence forever. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. That's because of you. That's because your blood was shed for us. For anyone here this evening, Father, who feels that they haven't come to you yet, actually, and they don't know what it means to enjoy you, Father, show it to them. Show what it means to enjoy your son, Jesus, as they pray to you, as they talk to you and confess their sins to you. Help us, Father, to be there for each other in pointing each other to you so that people can know what it means uh, that you walk hand in hand with them. Just as Hannah was praying a few minutes ago, 
knowing that for such a time as this, we can be here for each other, pointing each other to the Lord Jesus, who died for us so that we might enjoy your life. Lord Jesus, we pray in your name and we thank you. Amen.